Years ago, there was a father, had 11 children. Money was tight. He was able to get a, get a little gift, a little toy for them, and he was trying to figure out how to work it out so the kids could play with it. He, he went home, and he got them all together, and he said, Kids, I want you to take turns playing with this toy, but the first one, the first one that gets to play with it, is going to be able to say yes to all these questions. And he said, all right, who eats all their vegetables? Who goes to bed on time? And who listens to mommy? And the kids all looked at one another, and one of the younger ones then said, Daddy, you play with it. (laughs) Ah. Last week, we looked at the story of a woman named Leah. Her, Her struggle to find herself, her acceptance to... Find, find love from a, from a husband who, who, who didn't love her. He didn't really love her. And his name was Jacob. And we looked at that terrible moment in her life. Because he loved her sister. And then he married her and he married the sister. But it was through this that she became a woman of faith. It wasn't easy. You might think that's, that's pretty bad for Jacob, but that's only part of his story. In a sense, that's only the tip of the iceberg. Leah found faith in this crisis in her life, but so too Jacob would find his faith. So in your, in your Bibles, turn to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. I want to set the stage for you a little bit. Uh, the story, the story continues of Jacob. He's run away from home 20 years ago. His twin brother Esau wanted to kill him. Because he had, he had stolen, he had taken his brother's birthright, and he had, he had fooled his father into getting the blessing, the blessing of the firstborn. So his twin brother Esau's rage was so great, Jacob had to run away. And he ran to his mother's brother Laban. He worked for him as a shepherd for 20 years. He married these sisters. He had one daughter and 11 sons by his two wives and the two maidservants. Then he got fed up with it all. He got fed up with how he was being treated by his uncle. So in the dead of night, he left. He took his family, his workers, the servants, everyone. He took his flocks and he ran away. And at the beginning of chapter 32, he, he discovers his brother Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. Yeah. He's terrified. He makes plans to get out of this if he can. This, this could be his last night. And so in Genesis 32, we start reading in verse 22. Genesis 32, 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. 
Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Sometimes people will say something to me like, people wrote the Bible. And what they really mean is this, people made up stories and they they put them in the Bible. And I, I always, you know, respond nicely, but sometimes I have moments when I want to be a smart aleck and say something like, you know, they could have done a better job. Because a lot of the stories in the Bible are, are kind of strange, and they're very hard to understand. And there's a lot of truth to that. If people made up stories and put them in the Bible, then the Bible should be full of stories that are easy to understand. They should be like Aesop's fables, and they should have easy morals and lessons for us to take from them. People with faith in these stories should never have problems, right? If, if you trust in God and do things his way, then life will be easy peasy. But the scriptures and life aren't easy peasy, are they? Take our, take our scripture reading today. It's, uh, this is the first time I've ever preached it or taught it. Life would be easier for us pastors and preachers if we didn't have difficult passages. But that's why it's here, to challenge us. To me, this is the climax of Jacob's story. It's going to go on. It's not over. But it's the climax. And I need need to challenge myself. And I need to challenge you as we grapple to understand this. So we want to look at this story of how it seems like God wrestles with Jacob. And the lessons we can take from it as we wrestle with God in our lives. As we said, Jacob was facing the biggest crisis of his life. Esau was on his way with 400 men. Esau had been conned out of his birthright and blessing. Jacob couldn't turn back. He had vowed before God that he wouldn't go back to his uncle Laban. Furthermore, God told him that it was time to leave. It was time to get out of town. After 20 years, he wanted to go home. Jacob had to meet Esau tomorrow. And for once, he didn't have any tricks up his sleeve. He'd done everything he could. He didn't have an army. We don't know if he had any weapons. And to prepare for meeting Esau, he did three things. He divided his camp into two groups. So that, you know, if, if Esau attacked one of the groups, then the other might, might get away. They might escape. He also sent some flocks ahead. Over 500 animals to pacify or bribe Esau. And the last thing he did was he prayed. This was the most important. He reached back, he remembered God's promises, and he bent low to admit how unworthy he was of God's goodness. He had prayed the most basic of all prayers. He said, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. This chapter, chapter 32, is amazing because angels are involved and Jacob calls on the Lord God to remember him as if, as if God could forget. 
but he wants God to remember the covenant made with his grandfather Abraham. And I would encourage you, as I always do, to take some time today and read this chapter. And so the treasured life that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was within his grasp. It was, it was just on the other side of this river. I think Jacob was earnestly trying to trust God, but he really didn't know how. He prayed. We all know it's, it's not easy to trust God when there's problems. For Jacob, he was alone, and it was the middle of the night. There he was in the dark in a ravine by the river. Everyone and everything else was gone. He made his plans, and I, I think maybe he wanted to, to just be alone for a little bit with his own thoughts and to speak to God. But we're told from nowhere another, another man attacked him. And we have to imagine his, his muscles tensing and his heart jumping. Many, many thoughts, right? Who is this? What's, what does he want? I've waited 20 years to go back home and nothing's going to stop me. And I'm not going to die here. I won't let it end like this. And he must have fought as if his life depended on it. Jacob would have been in his late 30s. He had lived a hard and difficult life as a shepherd. He wouldn't give up easy. In the darkness, groping and straining and, and grabbing at one another, Jacob tried to figure out who he's fighting. I mean, is, is this a robber? But I, I don't have anything, only what I'm carrying. Why doesn't he just stab me and take what he wants? Is it Esau? But why would Esau come alone when he's with 400 men? Who is this? And the man doesn't, doesn't try to get away. He doesn't fight to, to kill Jacob or to steal from him. He just wrestles Jacob as if wrestling through the night is, is the point. So who would do this? And it wouldn't be long before this struggle ceased to be a struggle of, of strength, but became a fight of willpower. Jacob knew this was no ordinary man, and he fought on. He was holding on by the sheer force of his will. And then deliberately, as we read in the scriptures, this man touches his hip, and his hip comes apart. It wasn't a knife. He's just touched. And Jacob cries out, and his leg gave way, and now he's, he's clinging to the man, not, not in battle, but probably for support. And who is this then that the, the, the mere touch can cripple? And there's no telling how long this went on, but finally the night started to turn into day. It was still too dark to see, but the dawn was coming. No words had passed between them, grasp and grunts and Jacob's anguished moan, but no words. And then finally, finally his opponent said the strangest thing, let me go, for it is daybreak. Jacob would figure out who he's been wrestling. It was the very God whose blessings he had been scheming to gain all his life. It was the same God that he had seen high and lifted up at the, stop, at the top of the stairs when he had a dream on his first night when he ran away from home. That first night he spent with a rock for a pillow and he dreamed that there was a, a, a stairway 
what we would call a stairway, between heaven and earth. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And God was at the top and God spoke to him. And after that, Jacob made a vow to make God his God if he would return home someday. And now it's 20 years later. Through the night, God was shrouded in darkness. But with the coming of the early morning light, Jacob knew that he was close to death because no one could see God and live. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. God's blessings had been his life's goal, and he had received them. He wasn't worthy. But now he's trying to break free, to take the blessing and leave. Esau isn't the threat. God is the threat. And Jacob is is holding on for dear life, maybe just to the legs. His hip is aching like fire. He, He doesn't have any bargains to make. No, no tricks are left. He didn't even have the two legs to stand on anymore. And so the stranger spoke again, and Jacob could never have anticipated the question, What is your name? What is your name? And there in the dark, Jacob, he must, he must have blushed. This hadn't been his first encounter with God. He realized that the encounter this night was the story of his life. When Jacob was born, he was holding on to his twin brother's heel. So they they named him Jacob, which means he grasps the heel. He holds on to the heel. But this also means deceiver. To say his his name was to admit his own guilt. For who could bless a man whose name is deceiver, trickster? If you have a name like that, you don't stand a chance. It was quiet, and the stranger spoke again. And he said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob had to be stunned. His mind had to be spinning. He was spent. He was crippled. He was alone. And Esau and his 400 men would be on their way to meet him. And Jacob heard this. Israel means he struggles with God. I have to think that Jacob began to realize what was happening. He had prayed only yesterday, the day before, that God would save him. Now this name, this new identity, was a pardon. It was a strange name because he had spent his whole life trying to win, trying to get ahead. And the real story of his life that was worked out this dark night was not just about Jacob striving to win, But God's striving and relentless-filled grace reaching out to Jacob in love through his life. Let me take a moment because we need to talk about whom it is Jacob is wrestling. We're we're told several times here it's a man, but we, we get to the end and we're told it's God. We get some help. From another passage in scripture, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in chapter 12, he says this. In the womb, he, that's Jacob, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. This helps us, but now it makes it a little more confusing because now it talks about an angel. 
Remember what I said at the beginning, that there are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand? But we can, if we keep our theology straight. To understand this, I want to set the stage for you by talking about another story from Joshua chapter 5. The Israelites had left their slavery in Egypt. They had come into the promised land. They faced the city of Jericho. They didn't know how they were going to conquer it. So Joshua himself goes out to do a little recon. He wants to see what they're facing. And he meets a man. He meets a single man. And we're told this in chapter 5. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Whose whose side are you on? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. That finishes chapter 5. And throughout chapter 6, it's not a man, it's not an angel, but it's the Lord God who is speaking to Joshua. And he gives him the commands to march around the city. This, this is unbelievable. At first, Joshua sees a man with a sword. He wants to know whose side he's on. But it's an angel, and when he speaks, there's a sudden change in Joshua. To make a long story short, this isn't just, any angel, but it's what's known as the angel of the Lord. This is an, an appearance himself of God in the Old Testament. And it's also thought at other times it's an appearance of the pre-incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. In Jacob's wrestling match back at the Jabbok River, artists over the years have drawn this. It's, it's a famous scene. And they always show an angel with wings because of what Hosea says. But truth be told, not all angels have wings, do they? Just think of the two angels that went into Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the New Testament, in Hebrews 13, it says this. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I I think those early Christians would have noticed something different if the strangers had wings. And it's it's hard, but Jacob did fight hand-to-hand in a wrestling match with God himself in the form of the angel of the Lord as a man. This story is bigger than it looks. It's as difficult to understand as any story in the Bible. But in many ways, it's the story of the Bible itself. It's the story of a people who would now be identified by this name, Israelites. And the land would take on this name. And that land still stands today. It's the story of all those on whom God fixes his love. And so it's, it's your story and it's my story. I think the most important part here is when God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. 
And the footnote in most Bibles says Israel means he struggles with God. And this has been the story of Jacob's life. He's always been, he's always been in a fight with God. The focus here is on Jacob. That, that seems strange. Jacob's terrified at his brother coming. And now he's crippled, he's exhausted. Could anyone seem less like an overcomer? And if you look to the past where Jacob outfoxed his brother twice, along with his father and uncle, why would God commend him for this? He'd always been an overcomer by his tricks, by his deceit. Nothing, nothing that warranted a new name. But that night, at precisely the moment Jacob fell and gave in to God, Jacob overcame God. Jacob prevailed in this wrestling match. He didn't overcome God, as we think of it, because he'd been immobilized by his hip. His only act and his only recourse was to cling tenaciously and not let go. And in the words of Hosea, he wept and sought his favor. That's the sense here that God is overcome by Jacob. In the same way that we are children of God, that we are heirs of his blessing, we can prevail. But God must break us of our self-dependence so that he can bless us as we cling to him in our brokenness. God struggles with those on whom he has fixed his love so that he can stop our ill-fated, short-sighted, bound-to-fail struggles to get what life has to offer. He wants us to trust him and to rely on him. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. God wants to bless Jacob's life. He told him this. He wants to bless ours. But we cannot get God's blessings doing things our way. And here's, here's how it often works. We're going through life, but we meet a challenge. Maybe there's a crisis at work, something in our families. There's a health scare. And we, we do everything to manage it, to, to make it work, to take care of it. And the things we did before without God don't work anymore. We hit a brick wall. And no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we struggle, it's, it's like the deck is stacked against you. And there's no more fighting left you. And what you did before doesn't work anymore. And you just spent a terrible night at the Jabbok River, and you just wrestled with God. All of Jacob's life to chapter 32 has been characterized by his carnal striving, his, his own efforts to get divine blessing. Now he's finally learning the folly and futility of the self-effort. Entrance into a life of blessing can only be achieved on the same basis as Jacob securing the blessing of the angel of the Lord. We need to cling to God and his promises by depending on him to provide and protect us when we face hardship. But we're so much, we're so much like Jacob. And we end up fighting battles we can never win. You know when World War II ended? Right in back 1945? Do you know when the last Japanese soldier surrendered? 1974. Yeah. 
Lieutenant Hiru Onada and a small team were dropped off on a small Philippine island. He was told to fight on even if Japan surrendered. One of his fellow soldiers was surrendered in 1950. One was killed by police in 54. Another was killed in 1972. The Filipinos knew he was out there. And they tried and they tried. They dropped leaflets from planes into the jungle. They used loudspeakers. They tried to reason with him. The authorities tried to capture him. He lived off the land and he took from the Filipino farmers. He, he killed 30 of them. He finally surrendered in 1974 when his commanding officer, who was still alive, ordered him to surrender and told him the war was finally over. That's when he came out of the jungle. He was a fit 22-year-old when he went in. And he was only 30, 52 when he surrendered. But it had taken a toll on him. He was prematurely aged. His words were this, Nothing pleasant happened in the 29 years in the jungle. Nothing pleasant happens to us if we continue to battle with God. So this brings me to the question, How does the Almighty God struggle with us so as not to destroy us. It was God who initiated this contest. And God wrestles with us because sometimes, sometimes, He has to break our will without violating our will. Every wrestler has moves, and so does God. And He used some of His favorites on Jacob, and maybe He's used them on you too, like He has me. Verse 25 points out that God will sometimes handicap us. In some ways, God doesn't fight fair. Whatever it is that makes your will so strong, God can touch it and cripple it. But we don't, we don't have a theology of suffering. We want to avoid any suffering and hardship. We believe we need to stay away from it. But the Bible gives us a different take. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says this about Jesus Christ. He learned, Jesus Christ, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That's pretty profound. But we must realize maybe there is a reason for the hardship and difficulties in our lives. Also, God wants us to consider the cost if he leaves. If we let him go, consider what is said in verse 26. Let me go for it is daybreak. One of the strange things about the story is Jacob wants his opponent to leave him alone, to get away. But later on, he won't let him go. And so who's wrestling whom here? And so God wrestles us. He reduces us to desperation. And then we realize we cannot let him go. If we let him go, we'll never be blessed. We'll never be blessed. If we turn away, we'll lose everything. And we must cling to God as a drowning person would cling to a life preserver. God also makes us face ourselves. In verse 27, what is your name? God's asking, who are you really? Who are you, Jacob? You're the deceiver. God wants us to realize that we're grasping, we're self-centered, And we're desperate. (coughs) 
but we get used to living with ourselves for so long, our entire lives, that, that we think it's normal and it's the best way to do things. And it looks reasonable, it looks right. But in that dark moment, when we have to face ourselves, God is saying, who are you really? Who are you? And what's the most important thing in your life? And we have to face what is crushing us. And we have to turn to God. And last, we need to realize God isn't the enemy. He's the prize. Jacob was a, a pursuer of blessing, but he sought it in the wrong way. At first, he fought because he thought he faced an enemy. But then he wrestled with God and he was clinging to God because God was the prize. God was everything he wanted, but until now, he did not know this truth. He didn't understand it. And all too often, we fight against God and we think he's against us, but the reality is far different. One final question. What do we do when God is one? The answer is beg for mercy. The prophet Hosea tells us that is what Jacob did. He rode in the womb. He grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. That's the way that we fight God. We weep and beg for his favor. This is painful. This is costly. And God does this so we will stop fighting him and so we will trust him. And it's a lesson we need to learn. Ever since Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden and were cast out, God has been drawing women and men back to him as recreated beings. But we cannot go to him the way we left, doing things our way and ignoring him. This was Leah's problem we looked at last week. She wanted her husband to love her. And she thought by, by giving birth to sons that Jacob would, would love her. But it never happened. And it was only when she looked to God that she found love and grace. She could find freedom and purpose. Isaiah the prophet was preaching to a headstrong nation of Israel, Jacob's new name. In Isaiah 30 he says this, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You wouldn't have it. In the verses that follow, he talks about the things they did to to try and find these qualities, but they wouldn't trust God. And finally, in verse 18, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice, Blessed are all who wait for him. In New Testament terms, we confess our sins and turn to Jesus Christ. He's the only way to cross safely into the land of God's blessing. Too often we look, we look for the blessing, whether it's wealth or success, significance, fame, purpose, anything that's desirable, but we don't realize that God himself is the blessing. And we need to wrestle with him, not because he's against us, but because he's all we need. And in the end, Jacob confronts his failures, his weaknesses, his sins, all the things that are hurting him, and he faces God. Jacob wrestled with God. It was a struggle that left him crippled for the rest of his life. It was only after he came to grips with God and ceased his fighting, he realized that he couldn't go on without him. And then he could receive God's blessing. 
It's a difficult passage. Hopefully I've answered more questions than I have raised for you. But like I said, there are some parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. And if we always avoid them, we'll miss out on some of the things that God wants us to learn. In Jacob's life, this was a crucial moment. He would not only return home, but the next day he would meet his brother and they would be reconciled. They would have peace together. But his life would still be difficult. His beloved Rachel would pass giving birth to his final son. His favorite son Joseph, the firstborn of Rachel, would be thought dead. In in reality, his brother sold him as a slave. What we learn from this incident in the life of Jacob is that life's not easy. But I, I shouldn't have to tell you that by now. But this is really true when we take it upon ourselves to wrestle with God and his will for our lives. But as God's people, as Christians, despite our trials and tribulations, our strivings in this life are never empty of God's presence. His blessing follows a struggle. Sometimes it's messy and chaotic. But growth in our lives often follows struggle. Jacob's wrestling with God that night at the river reminds us of this truth. Though we may fight God in his will for us, in truth, God is very good. God is very good. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we may well struggle with him through the loneliness of the night, but by daybreak, his blessing will come. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we all go through our lives, and there's moments when we're fighting. We're fighting a war we don't need to. There's a struggle we don't need to engage in. Help us to lay aside our own prideful spirits. Help us not to do things our way, but let us follow you knowing that you're not the enemy, you're not against us, but you're the prize, and you want to bless us, and you want to bless us richly. But in this life, this world, it's not going to go easy, but this world is not our home. And so we pray together as your people, we can make make a difference in one another's lives, and we can encourage and support each other as we yearn for the day And we will be with you in glory. In the meantime, strengthen us, we pray, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.